Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Cleveland-based jazz saxophonist, producer, and band leader, Matthew Alec. Along with his music roles, he is the founder and executive producer at Cleveland Time Records, along with being the band leader for the high-energy jazz fusion group, Matthew Alec and the Soul Electric. Nominated as Cleveland's best horn player by the Cleveland Scene Magazine in 2009, he has performed for over 20 years. He holds a bachelor's degree in music from Kent State University. This is a great cat. Enjoy this interview. Charlie Mino Neon Chess, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm very good. Thank you. Uh, thanks Excellent. for having me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking a minute. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Before we get into anything here, you know, new recordings, kind of what's going on in your life right now, talk to me a little bit as a jazz musician. How did you survive COVID, and how have you subsequently changed the way that you live your life and approach your jazz craft now that we're coming out of it? That's a good question. So I, I'm I'm fortunate that I have some other income. So um, I was able to survive, but to say that, so I mean, the first album that I put out um, came out at the right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, which was not stellar and completely derailed any chances for any type of touring. Um, you know, I survived by recording. Um, I kind of shifted focus, and I was I I started uh, really putting a lot of effort and time into putting out video content, um, stuff like that. Uh, I also took on a number of students, so uh, I was doing stuff like that. Uh, which now, two years in the future, I, I think actually helped quite a bit um, because um, as a result of everything that I've done, and I've got a, a huge YouTube channel and a lot of stuff going on, and uh, the the touring prospects are starting to open up again. So <laughs> I said all that. Does any of that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, no, that was crystal clear. No, that's what I've been going for. And I'm curious, you know, uh, you know, coming from my end of the microphone, you know, I did see a lot of releases that even over the pandemic were coming out. And I and mm -hmm. I, I will never, ever forget those releases that came out right before and right during it. They were all, they'll always have a special time for me. Sure. Because, you know, they just represent the idea that music never stops and that, you know, the artist is always going to create. And I think there's a level of triumph that goes into that. Um, and, and I'm curious now, at this time, do you have a recording that's, that's brimming, that's coming out? What are you kind of yeah. doing now that live shows? Yeah, Yeah. so um, I did uh, um, uh, a live performance with uh, Tom Bones Malone from uh, the Blues Brothers and um, Saturday Night Live. He was on Saturday Night Live for a few years. Are you familiar with him? The name is familiar, yes. And I'm yeah, sure I know his yeah. work, yeah. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, he is, um, his resume is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but uh, I got to be friends with him um, through Facebook. And I started talking to him via email, and I sent him a recording and of, of the original album. Uh, Cleveland Time was the uh, studio album that I put out. And I, I had sent him some of the half-finished tracks, and I asked him if he would be interested in recording on it. Um, you know, I'm in Cleveland. He lives. He, he lived in New Jersey. He actually moved uh, out to California recently. But um, 
and he he really liked it and he said that he would and so he recorded you know uh uh, digitally uh, at his home studio for the for the actual studio album, and then I started talking to him and like, hey, why don't you come to Cleveland? Why don't you do um, a live performance with my group, and we'll do a big event in downtown Cleveland. And he was all about it, and he actually flew out. Uh, all, it's getting close to a year ago now. It was actually February um, earlier this year, uh, and I had um, a live album made from that performance. Um, so. It you know fast forward several months in the future uh, we've got all the mixing mastering um, videos made for it I had a uh, video crew uh, tape the whole thing um, and that is coming out on December second uh, so that uh, I'm kind of looking forward to it's totally different than the last album the last album was more of like a funk and traditional jazz driven release this is uh, material that um, really pays homage to him uh, we picked. Uh, some more of the like soul jazz standard stuff and uh, some of the Blues Brothers tunes um, that uh, he knows extremely well. So it's a little bit different, but um, I have to say I really like it. There's a lot of good energy on the album. So talk to me. Are you originally from Cleveland? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I was born and raised in uh, Richfield, Ohio, which is like um, it's about 30 minutes south of Cleveland. Um and uh, I actually live in Akron right now, but um, obviously I'm in Cleveland quite a bit. So, but yeah, I've uh, I've never left. Cool. Well, you know, the one thing I want to get to, you know, I always thought that Kansas City had sports heartbreak. Yeah. And every year when I watch Cleveland, I'm like, man, they got to get a break. I mean, beyond LeBron and that year that they had to run, like I, I I'm pulling for the Guardians. I'm, I'm pulling for the Browns. Like, there's a part of me that's just like, man, I, you guys need to have a celebration like no other. Because well, I appreciate you saying that. It is pretty tough to watch. I've pretty much just given up on the Browns at this point. So. Yeah, and I would think after Deshaun Watson, after everything that was a part of the uh, that whole thing, I just kept thinking, you know, what? If, like, I had no idea what happened with Baker. Anyway, we could get into a rabbit hole here. But I just want you to know, as someone from a town that's gone through some pain and finally has a quarterback and a team that's reliable, I mean, the Chiefs, people have a pretty short-term memory. We went through years that were unreal as a sports fan here. So, anyway, I'm pulling for you guys. But well, I appreciate I that. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, I yeah. know uh, Mahomes is a good quarterback at this point, so I think you guys are set, at least for now. Yeah. That, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All that contract runs out or something happens, yeah, sure. we're, uh, we're in good shape. But um, I'm curious with you, how did these seeds of jazz begin for you? What was your childhood like, and why is it that jazz resonated with you to become who you are today? Oh, wow. Okay, good question. So, um, you know, I, I didn't uh, I did an interview for this other magazine uh, about a month ago, and I, I kind of spelled it out to them. It, it's funny when I go back and I think about it, because music was not an integral part of my childhood. Um, the uh, I, I loved music, um, but I didn't really know anything about it. So as like a little kid, uh, I kind of wish, you know, I had a, an exceptionally musical family, um, but I didn't. I mean, the, uh, my mother and my brother were amateur musicians at one point in their lives, but it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't something that I was immersed in or anything like that. I, it didn't really happen for me until high school. So 
So like in high school, um, I had been playing the saxophone for a few years. It started in the, um, uh, what, fifth grade, I think, um, uh, my school district started. And I wasn't very good. <laughs> and I didn't care very much about it, to be honest. Uh, I, the joke that I had was that the saxophone sat in its case uh, in the locker uh, <laughs> pretty much most days. Um, it wasn't really touched. Um, but so in high school, I, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what the impetus was. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I started to get into uh, classic rock. I really liked classic rock. Um, I liked uh, the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and all that. And I wanted to play the guitar. Uh, I wanted to play the guitar really badly. And um, that didn't wind up happening. Uh, actually, what happened was uh, there was this freshman student who came up who was really good um, and he uh, played alto saxophone, and he uh, was a big Charlie Parker fan, and I got to be really good friends with him. And as a result, um, he hit me to all that music. Um, and I started listening to Charlie Parker, and then John Coltrane, and um, Duke Ellington, and sure enough, you know, fast forward a couple of years, uh, I go to Kent State, and I'm like, you know what, I should, I should go in for music. So everything kind of changed for me over the course of about three years. That's you know, kind of how it happened. I just had an epiphany when you were explaining that. There's so many musicians that tell me I really ran into jazz later on in life. And jazz mm -hmm. reminds me metaphorically of like an alcoholic beverage. It's like I just didn't start drinking until later in life. And then once I got in there, it was the beverage that I just I, I, I loved. It made me feel good. So I, I was yeah. thinking about that. You know, but, but that, that's the allure of jazz. You know, once you get it and you're hooked in, and maybe it's good that it's later in life, but it's not bad that if you're young because you really kind of get lured into it. But I think there's a level of appreciation the older you are where you've listened to a lot of music, your parents' music, you know, pop sure. culture, radio. And then you get to that point where it's like, all right, I have all these choices. I'm in the front of the condiment aisle, and I know what condiment I want on my, my sandwich now. I know what I want. I'm more refined. Yeah, you know? that's absolutely true. True of me for alcohol, too. How about that? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so a good beer and a hoagie sandwich, and we're in. Um, sure, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, the one thing that's very key about the development of our music brains is concerts. What was the first jazz show you saw that blew you away? Oh, boy. Um, you know, it's not the first one I saw, but I, it, I can tell you – one that will always stand out in my memory, and I was young enough, so I think it counts. But uh, in 2000, I want to say one, I was, I was probably a junior in high school, something like that. I went with my mother to New York City, and we saw uh, uh, Herbie Hancock, uh, Michael Brecker, and uh, Riff Hargrove at Carnegie Hall in the uh, Directions and Music Tour that they did uh, during those years. Um, wow. And uh, then afterwards, I got to meet all three of them, and they signed um, the uh, the CD that they had put out from that tour. Uh, they signed the front of it, and um, yeah, I think that I think that counts. And I it wasn't true at the time, you know. My tastes were just starting. My I was just starting to develop, you know. But fast forward about fifteen years. Michael Brecker uh, was absolutely my favorite saxophone player and still is. So um, kind of funny that it kind of worked out that way. But that, 
yeah, that that performance I will absolutely never forget. So, wow, it's like it's like asking the first time you went to church and you meet Jesus after the service. <laughs> yeah, God. that's absolutely right. Yeah, and and Michael Brecker and uh, Herbie Hancock were about as like nice a human being as you could possibly imagine. They were super nice. Um, Roy Hargrove. He was just sort of distant. He wasn't unpleasant. He just, I don't know. But but uh, Herbie and Michael were just super, super sweet and, uh, you know, really took the time to talk to every single person that came by. So, You know, it's interesting. I, I've heard that about Roy, and, and I've also heard how wonderful Herbie is and how everybody that meets him, he takes his time out. He's in a timelessness. He's very grounded. He's very humble. And I think that's the thing that – I've always just loved about the jazz community. Like the higher up the ladder you go, the cooler yeah. and the most the more grounded they are. You know. Oh, that's absolutely um, true. I uh, I spent um, uh, like three four hours with Joe Lovano um, this past summer. Uh, I did an interview with him. I, I write for All About Jazz, um, and uh, I did an interview with him. Um, and talk about a super super nice guy. You know. Um, that was, uh, and, and that should be coming out soon, by the way. Uh, the first, that's probably going to get put into a few pieces, but uh, the first one should be out in the next few weeks. So that was a great interview. You know, one of the first time I ever interviewed Joe, and I knew about his lore, and, you know, you know, when you go into a big cat like that, it's like you just, sure. you're not quite sure where it's going to go. And I remember he was in a cabin up in upstate New York, and he was kind of weathering out the, the pandemic and his optimism and his realism and what he was doing and how he spoke. He was one of those people that every single thing that he said, every statement, every sentence, every paragraph was something that you could quote. And it was mm-hmm. just nonstop. And he's just, you know, he's up in that league of like a Sonny Rollins where not only are they unbelievably talented and legendary, they have a way of weaving together an oratory that is so tasty that you're just like, you need to stop real quick so I can just gather myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, every, he speaks so eloquently. Like everything the man says uh, is um, exactly what you just said. <laughs> exactly what you just said. He, um, he just has a way of conveying like his inner feelings that uh, are, uh, is very succinct and very aptly put. So I, I totally agree. So talk to me a little bit about the Cleveland scene. What, what's it been like to be a part of that scene? I mean, I, I remember um, interviewing Ernie Creepton at one point, and that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it was one of my early baptisms into it. And he's legendary. He's like the cream of the crop. But talk to me about how you've evolved and how you've seen the Cleveland jazz scene go. There is a real uh, like tight-knit community here. The Talent is good. Um, there's a lot of really great, talented musicians. I wish that there was more opportunities. Um, the, there's, there are good opportunities, and there's quite a few. Um, but, you know, to put things in perspective, you know, I started playing in a foreigner tribute band just so that I could generate more income. So, uh, you know, those type of things happen and for me I have always been a big pop fan so playing pop music is a part of what I do and even in even in any jazz playing I I do you're going to hear some pop elements but that well that's to me is a little bit 
the Michael Brecker influence, I think, a little bit. Um, but in any event, um, there are, as far as clubs, there's only a few, um, and there's a lot of people vying to play those places, if, if, that, if that makes sense to you. So um, it can be, the scene can be kind of um, difficult at times. I wish that there was more of an audience um, here in Northeast Ohio. And I think that's, that's ultimately what drives it because, you know, the average Ohioan, um, isn't terribly, um, hip to jazz and certainly isn't really all that culturally involved. Now, that's not to say that there aren't a lot of people that are. There certainly are, but that's not the norm. Um, so it, it just makes for kind of a challenging, situation uh and it doesn't lead to as many opportunities as there are in other towns so i I, i'll just put it like that but the talent is great and we have a lot of universities which i think is what the main driving force is behind having a lot of great players around Uh, like myself i went to kent state Uh, we've got akron university um my my wife actually teaches teaches at cleveland state she's not a musician uh she's criminal justice but um uh, they do have a, a very nice music program there, uh, and there's there's a whole bunch of uh, really nice universities around here. Um, and you know, every couple of years, you're going to get a couple more students, uh, you know, who are going out professionally into the world um, and and fueling that talent pool. But I do kind of wish there were more opportunities. You know, the one thing about being a musician is there's so many aspects to it. There's the creating the music. There's the you know, live aspect, there's putting CDs out. What is it that you like the best about this process of being a professional musician? Uh, say that one more time. I'm sorry, you cut out there for a second. What do you like the best about being a professional musician? That's a good question. I, to me, I think it is um, the challenge, the reward and the challenge. Um, to really create something and like to devote your life to something. I, I, um, I look at other people sometimes and I don't understand. I don't understand a lot of people because I, I look at them and they don't, there's nothing, they don't do anything. (laughs) And I don't, I'm not trying to, I don't want to make anyone feel badly. That's not my point. That's not what I'm getting at. I just, I, for me, it is like the core of who I am. Without it, I feel like I would be aimless. So I don't understand a lot of other people that don't have something like that, that fills that to them. Um, and there are a lot of people out there that don't. Um, and um, I, I don't understand that. And maybe, maybe that's just my experience and, you know, what it's been for me, but I don't know. To me, more than anything, it's just sort of the driving force who I am. And I think that's probably the the best way I can describe it. I can understand that. I can absolutely understand that. So let me ask you this. If you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see any artist anywhere, where are you going? Oh, boy. Um, John Coltrane. I think that I would go back and see John Coltrane. Probably, uh, preferably mm, late 50s period. <laughs> yeah. If we, go, if we fast forward a little bit too far, he might have might have gone off the deep end a little bit uh, as far as my musical taste. Um, I think John Coltrane, if and I'm being selfish, uh, I would see him with Miles Davis because 
Why not? <laughs> yeah. So, and it, if I took a poll, that would be the number one answer right there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Coltrane specifically, but Miles and him together, yeah, that would be magnanimous. Um, so, quite simply put, why do you love jazz? So that's multifaceted. Uh, for one, um, just the sound of it. Uh, it I, I, there, the actual timbre and and sound just really appeals to me. Um, and the groove and like the way it makes you feel. And as a performer, and that's really just the listening aspect of it. But as a performer, um, one just the Pure self-expression. Um, it's probably the only thing I can think of where you are expressing right there in that moment. It's 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 probably the only medium that I can think of that's like that. I, I well, dance. I suppose you could say the same thing. It's a performing art, but I don't know. There's there's something about it where it's almost instant gratification to be able to to really like lay it all out there in front of the audience. And it just feels really good as a performer. Um, additionally, it's hard. It's challenging. Um, and there's something fun about that. There's something fun about, oh shit, this, this tune is, is, it's got really challenging chord changes or it's super fast. Like I can't play that, but you know, I'm going to get, you know, in the shed next couple weeks. I'm going to learn those changes and I'm going to play it. And in a couple weeks, it's going to sound really good. And then in a couple months, like I might be able to record on it, you know? So to me, that's a challenge. And I like that. And challenges are fun. Uh, and it's something that, you know, pushes you forward. So all of that. And then probably a bunch of other reasons I'm not thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see if we can get more reasons in this question here. Everyone sure. has a perception or an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you live your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Oh, boy. Um, I've always seen myself as an artist, and I, I kind of put that beyond musician. There's a musician aspect of that. But I've always sort of thought myself as an artist and a creative. Um, and that's sort of my self-identity. There's other aspects of it, too. I, I do a lot of produ producing, production work. Um, I think in today's world, artists are not doing themselves justice if they're not putting out a lot of video content. Um, I think that the two go hand in hand in today. Um, I mean, I can perform here in Cleveland, and it looks like, in January, I'm performing in Miami, um, and I should have a New Orleans performance this summer. I've been doing that once a year, um, but no matter how many stops I go, no matter how many cities I go, all I can do is play in that one city, but I'm going off the deep end here, but <laughs> um, <laughs> if you create video of performance, anyone in the world can watch that at any point. Um, as long as you have it on YouTube or Facebook or wherever, YouTube's the best uh, medium. But uh, So I think that artists today are not doing themselves justice if they're not doing that. So full circle back to the question. Um, there's a lot of production work I'm doing 
uh, now. It's it's sort of a key piece. So there's there's like a producer slash entrepreneurial you know thing going on in there. But first and foremost, um, I just view myself as an artist and a creative. And there's other aspects. I'm also a husband. Uh, re- relatively newly, we just got married uh, in June. Um, and uh, I have a couple pets. I'm a pet dad, <laughs> you know. But uh, and um, to my mother, I'm a son. Um, and to my brother, uh, who lives in New Orleans, um, you know, I'm a brother. Uh, but I, I don't know. I it, to me, like that. I just first and foremost, I've always seen myself simply as a creative. And right on. I'm happy when I'm creating, and when I'm not. I'm sort of directionless and don't know what to do with myself. So Yeah, for sure. That's a great answer. Matthew, thank you for opening up today. Thanks for your time. Good luck with it. Absolutely. Everything. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview. We give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Cleveland, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Matthew for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.